This is Sarah with an exciting announcement. We have just launched the SideWoo Collective, a new inclusive community of artists, metaphysical practitioners, and the Woo Curious. The SideWoo Collective is, for now, an online community focused on art, the metaphysical, and general wellness. Essentially all the things you love about the podcast, but in real life. Our first offering is a three-week online course with classes every Sunday at 6 p.m. between February 12th and the 26th. Classes include sigil making with artist and educator Rachel Dawson, Intuition 101 with tarot reader and Scottish witch Amelia Whitehouse of the Carnelian Keep, and Drawing Your Shadow with Yours Truly. You can go to our new website, thesidewoo.com, to sign up, get on our mailing list, or reach out with any questions. This will be a great way to engage with one another and get a better understanding of who this community is. I'm really excited to share it with you and hope to see you there. Hi, this is Sarah Tebow. And this is Liz Bernstein, and we are the hosts of the Side Woo Podcast. This is a space to investigate what makes a creative life possible, from the mundane to the sublime, the physical to the metaphysical. Welcome to the Side Woo. Hello, this is Sarah, and welcome to the latest episode of the Side Woo. This week, we have a special guest, Erica Wallace-Moore. She is from my hometown of Minneapolis. I first met Erica in 2019 when I went to her for a Reiki session, and I continued to work with her for about a year, and her amazing sessions taught me so much about energy work and really opened my eyes to the unseen forces that were describing and shaping my everyday experiences. Um, when I decided to begin the side woo, she was actually one of the first people I thought of to have on the show, and I'm so honored and happy to have her with us for this episode, which marks the, I guess, one-year anniversary in the beginning of our second year as a podcast. Um, a little bit about Erica. She is a Reiki master and instructor and currently in practice at Well and Whole, a collective of providers offering integrative therapy and healing services in Minneapolis. Erica is a writer and MFA graduate. Her work, Los Desparacidos, was featured in Watson Review and will be linked in show notes. She also asked us to put a link to the National Alliance on Mental Illness to honor those struggling with mental health challenges. In her episode, Erica talks about her first experience with Reiki, what she has learned from being a practitioner, her connection to the spirit world and how that journey has shifted as her body and herself has aged and um, changed. I love this episode. I love this conversation. Um, I hope you do too. And I will leave you to it. Oh my God, what a relief. Okay, we're good to go. Yeah, Erica, so you're in the Twin Cities. That's where you are right now, just for listeners context. Well, cool. Maybe we could start by talking a little bit about how you got into Reiki. You have kind of an extraordinary story about the first time Reiki was ever done to you. Yes. I was first introduced to Reiki because my mom was going to Reiki and it was about 20 some years ago. And I didn't really ask her about it. I really thought that Reiki was foot massage or reflexology. (laughs) And I was like, okay, you know, I was in my young, early, early 20s and like, oh, yeah, go ahead and do you. Um, It was in the back of my mind, though, like one of these days, I'm going to find out what this foot massage reflexology is. But in 2011, I was pregnant with my first child. I was going to have a daughter. And since it was my fourth child and my last child, I wanted to go through labor and delivery without any medication. Well, and had you done that before? No. At, you, you'd had epidurals and... Yep. Okay. Yep. The first first pregnancy, I was 23. So absolutely, yes, epidural. Yep. My second, pre- second pregnancy was twins. So... Wow. What? Yeah. I don't think I knew that part of it. <laughs> yeah. In order for me to deliver naturally for my twins, which I insisted on, the nurse said, or the doctor said that I had to have an epidural. So by my fourth child, I was like, okay no pain medication. Um, I wanted to have the experience. I wanted to be in fully in my body when I had at least one of my kids in my last one. 
So the nurse was like, okay, great. Actually, we have a doula on staff in the hospital who's Reiki trained. How would you feel about having her in the room with you? And I was like, okay, that's fine. You know, anything that's going to help. And I feel like I was so used to doctors and nurses being in and out of the labor and delivery that another person was just fine. But she had such a calming presence. She was with me the whole time. I remember when she would put her hands on my feet and then baby inside of my of my womb was moving. That was really cool and interesting and like, oh, this is cool. And I'm in labor. But I think the what I remember most is her calming presence and how she helped to make the experience a lot more smooth than any other labor and delivery that I've had. Yeah. I want to say like, Go ahead. Oh, well, as I say, was the majority of where she reikied based in your feet area or? Yes. And why was that? I didn't ask her, but I'm thinking now with my own experience that she was helping to guide baby in from spiritual into material or spiritual into, you know, physical being on this earth. And so it was like she was putting her hands on my feet, but connecting to my daughter. Like, it's okay to come. It's okay to come into the world. And I felt like at like when the Pitocin hit number 10 and then I couldn't do anything else. And I had to go to a faraway place inside of myself. And I remember with my, I was like, had a conversation or I was telling my daughter, you and I have to work together here. Let's work together to get through this experience. And afterwards I was, you know, so totally in love with this child, this new being. And I was like, oh, that was really cool. (laughs) And then, boom, I didn't really have time to process it. I went back home to my daughter was a few days old. My twins were 14 months old and had just started walking. And then I had my oldest daughter who was 10 years old. And so I just went right back into everything. It wasn't until three years later in 2014 that I was like, okay, I'm... I need grounding this. I feel so disconnected. This has been a really hard winter. My twins are four. My youngest is three. My oldest is 13. I need to be grounded. And so I was like, okay, it's time to give Reiki a real, like, intentional experience. And so I went to my very first session. And I think I wasn't expecting, I didn't really have any expectations. I was just like, okay, I'll do whatever it takes. Take me. <laughs> and so I laid on the table and I was, I also had like a knee in- injury going on because at the time I was running and I remember she put her hands on my feet and my knees and I felt strings of the pain just coming out and leaving my knees and my feet. And she, mm. she started on my knees and my feet and I was like, what in the world is going on. I have like, how is she doing this? And her hands are really hot. How are her hands so hot? When she got to my heart, I just wanted to like, I had this sudden feeling of wanting to laugh. But after the session, that first session, I felt so alive, like in a way that I never felt before. Um, I was scared to drive home that night. It was winter and the roads were slick and I felt so alive that I was, uh, it made me fearful to be, to feel so exposed. But I, I went home. I felt like I had an immediate change. I had a focus. I had clarity. I felt lighter. But I was also like, wow, that's who God is. <laughs> like, and then I was immediately, when can I do the next session? What do you, so what do you think is happening during Reiki? Like, and I mean this from the most sort of molecular, like my energy from my mm-hmm. hand touches and that transfers like the most scientific to the most spiritual, like the creation of the universe. There's no answer that's too small or too big for the side wound, basically. I think it's definitely physics. And I also think it's also spiritual. I think that molecules and atoms are in constant communication. And I also think that there's the space between atoms that we don't know about. And I think there's communication or the space of, of some kind of presence there holding it all together. Uh, I think that's what's going on in a Reiki session is a lot of energetic communication Mm. that there's so much in the world happening or so much in the universe happening that we don't see, but it's still going on in such a kind of either super minute level that we can't see, or it's so big that we can't capture it in our 
earthly consciousness. But yeah, there's, I just know there's a lot of communication, a lot of movement, a lot of chatter is going on during Reiki. And I do think it's between organs, there's communication in the bones, tissue. We're all made of atoms, you know, and every atom inside of our body has to communicate in order to keep this all functioning. And so I think that's what's happening in a Reiki session is that we can hear or I can hear the, the cacophony of communication. Yeah. And so at what point did you start doing the training for yourself? When did you kind of think like, I'm going to start doing this? After my second session, I looked it up. Like, how does she do that? How are her hands doing that? How, where does she get this training from? I thought it was like, you had to travel somewhere far away <laughs> and go on like a big retreat. But I was like, what? It only in one time, it only takes six hours and you can do this and I could give it to myself. Yeah. Sign me up. And so it was maybe four weeks, four weeks after my first session wow. that I jumped, jumped in. I wanted to be able to give it to myself. You know, we were a family of six. It's not like I had a, you know, a lot of money to go every couple of weeks. And so I decided, you know, let me invest in myself and be able to give this to myself. Did you ever have the practitioners note how receptive you were to the practice? Because it, I, I mean, I don't know what the range is of what people's experiences are, but it does sound like, like your mind and body was just like open for and ready to feel what this was yeah. completely. Yeah. I think there was definitely some kind of pre attunement going on with that totally. session. But I feel like spirit was waiting for me to arrive to that first session, for sure. I was going to ask about that, like on your drive home, you mentioned saying like just feeling so raw. And could you talk a little bit about that, what that was about? Because I, I feel like the thing that it reminds me of is like you get a shiny new thing, you know, like whether it's a new phone or and I sometimes when I get something new like that, that I like I'm so excited and happy to have immediately my mind goes to like, I'm going to lose it and someone's going to take it from me. I don't know if that was kind of what you were feeling or could you go into that a little bit? Like fear of loss in some ways. Fear of loss or just you had been so shut down that you didn't know how to process this new consciousness or. It's, I don't know. I still don't know. I mean, I can try to articulate it and I have tried. There's layers maybe of the articulation of what that that fear was because I was the third, I think I, it was the very first time in my entire life where I felt actually like, oh, I am made of cells and organs and I am alive in this world and I'm driving down this freeway <laughs> and I'm still alive. I don't want it to end. Yeah. I want to be able to savor this and I want to be able to feel this. And I want to be able to make it home to my kids. And it was the first time I really felt vulnerable. And when it comes to like how precious, I think I want to say that that was the first time I realized how precious me being alive really, really is. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to be able to like, I want to make it home and I want to be alive and feel this preciousness forever. Yeah. And so, yeah, I was like, just, let's just make it home. Yeah. That's so interesting. I guess there's a lot of questions. So with the remote Reiki, because you were doing direct Reiki, why does remote Reiki work and how does it work? And because is that how you typically work now or? I do both in-person and distance sessions. And I don't, I did a lot more distance sessions pre-pandemic than I'm doing right now. People, I think, well, especially right now, people need a uh, touch. <laughs> especially after all the disconnection. And I, I typically right now do distance Reiki for people who are not quite ready to take the in-person mm. leap. Yeah. So they're like, sure, you know, do a distance session and then I'll send them an email. And then that's when they're like, wow, oh my gosh. Um, but the way that remote Reiki works is that when you receive your attunement and training, Level one and level two, you receive three symbols. And one of those symbols is the distance Reiki symbol. And it means pretty much no present, no past, no future. The way that I look at it is that it's a key. Even the symbol itself kind of looks like a key, but it unlocks time and space so that there's no barrier 
the of time and space between me, the practitioner, and the person I'm doing Reiki with. And so to me, that's the way it works. It also works just on a natural level. Like if you pray for somebody, you are entering into an energetic exchange with that person's spirit. Mm -hmm. It's the same, to me, the same concept. But yeah, without the resistance of the body being on the table, they're not, they're not resisting. They don't even know where you are in their body. They're not even anticipating it. There's no fear locked in. So that's, that's, I think that's mainly why remote Reiki works in a way that's different than in-person Reiki. And then the other thing that I think really works is that, you know, you cannot, should not, absolutely do not want to ever give distance Reiki on somebody who has not given you permission to. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that, that even that contract of permission right there, I think is another reason that, that distance Reiki works. Because even when you're an in-person Reiki, they're like, yeah, you know, they're coming into the room and saying yes, but they don't necessarily know. And I'll, I'll even say, is there anywhere on your body that you want me to steer clear from? Yeah. Um, and even in in-person Reiki, I tend to stay clear from the neck area, there's there's a lot of information here. And then if I'm going to touch someone here, you never know what kind of feelings or emotions it's going to evoke. And so I stay away from that area in in-person Reiki. But in distance Reiki, oh yeah, I can go all in with the, the neck area mm-hmm. and gather a lot of information there. Well, you're in some ways like taking out this intermediary that's so low. I mean, the physical body that's so loaded by just our societal constructions mm-hmm. and what it means to be in proximity with somebody socially. And it's like our, you know, our beloved flesh bags that we walk around in. (laughs) And like all the hangups that come with being touched and all the hangups and what does it look like and being seen and, you know, all of that, all of the judgments, our physicality is so limiting. And yeah. Yeah. Yes. It's so crazy because our, our bodies are limited and we need the body to be here <laughs> on this planet with right. this gravity and this oxygen. We need our physical bodies, but our spirits are so limitless that we can have these spiritual energetic exchanges, you know, from me being in Minneapolis with someone who's on the other side of the of the world or even someone or a being that's even not on this planet because of the physical limitation of our bodies aren't. aren't are in the way. Right. Yeah. Well, like, for example, the remote Reiki sessions you did were like while I was sleeping, but there was one that I was awake and I had just had some stuff was going on. I was at a residency in London and I was in the process of moving places. I won't go into it, but I literally felt you doing the session because I was sitting at my desk and all of a sudden my arms started shaking and I And I didn't know because we had kind of talked about like within the next 12 hours, you're going to do a session, but I didn't know when it was coming. And my arms started shaking and I went to the bathroom and just released all of this emotion. And I was like, what the fuck just happened? Where did that come from? I knew I was having a hard time, but that came out of nowhere. But then when we talked, I was like, oh my God, absolutely. I felt the like pushing out of all this stuff that was going on. And so, I mean... To me, that was like, I, I believe in remote everything, but to me, that was flu proof. Like, oh, this is happening right now. Yeah. <laughs> Did you panic yeah. at all when that happened? Like as yeah. a sort of anxiety-based person, I'm like, if something happens that I can't find its origin point yeah. immediately, like I truly start to panic. There's no more meaning I can trust in the world and I'm losing my, I mean, I mean that like legitimately, what if everything I know to be true is crumbling? Or did you, I mean, this is why I can't handle psychedelics, but like, oh, totally. No, I think I just thought maybe I drank too much caffeine or something, even though significantly in that moment, there was a shift, but that shakiness, I kind of was like working in my studio and just like attributed it to caffeine or, but then afterwards I was like, yeah, that was disproportionate to any kind of caffeine (laughs) buzz I've ever had. So some of the things that like you and I have talked about and, and the readings that you've given and just what you're saying about like our spirit being so connected to everything, you know, including people and energies not on this planet, there's definitely a link between Reiki and mediumship. And like one of the first 
you're basically the first energy healer I've ever been to. And you would say, you know, during our readings, like, oh, I see your grandmother hanging out or you have this intense field of male energy. And you kind of like see these things and it, you wouldn't necessarily communicate with them, but you would have messages or intention. You'd be able to read that in my energy field. And so as I started working with other people, it made me really think about like, what is it to be in spirit versus what is the energy of our world and what is the energy I feel, you know? And it made me realize like, it's way more similar than I had thought. So I, how do you feel about what you've learned as a Reiki healer and then how that connects to other types of energy work now? And mediumship. Mediumship specifically. I think it's, it's, so, it's been really interesting. I want to say when I'm in a Reiki session, I'm open. And I, I do set, set the intention that if there are, you know, whatever needs to come, and whatever communication is happening and whatever the person needs is on the table, like to let that in. Um, and so that a lot of times clients, I want to say they, sometimes they have protectors, spiritual protectors. They may or may not be ancestors. Sometimes they do have ancestors coming in. Sometimes my father comes in as the spirit, which, and my grandmother will come in as well. You're giving a session? <laughs> Yes. Oh, wow. And what do they do? Uh, sometimes they're there to keep me protected. Sometimes I think my, my father and my grandmother, but mostly my father, my father was a, a, a pastor, a minister, and he passed away 15 years ago. And so sometimes I think he's just still interested in, in people. And so sometimes somebody's on the table and he'll kind of come in and say, make sure you tell them this um, or, ooh. You know, um, that happens. <laughs> Sometimes people's true protectors or their angels or their ancestors will even take over the session. Oh, wow. And then I'm like, oh, good. I get to just sit back <laughs> and just let the ancestor or the, the spiritual guide carry the session. And it's like my hands are the medium. Sure. So that's that's kind of the way it works. I don't. I also think that lately in the last six months, I had some kind of more like a spiritual attunement that was another level of Reiki. And so now I'm feeling like I have these ascendant masters mm. who are working with me on uh, myself personally and my spiritual journey and my own healing journey and also working with me in sessions. And so, yeah, I feel like they're, they're, I don't know. It's, it kind of feels like I'm channeling them, but they're also channeling me because I don't feel like I necessarily had a choice. They were just like, come, it's time to come up here. How is this information coming through to you in terms of the Claire's, like clairvoyance mm. or clairsentience? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it is clair clairvoyant. Sometimes I can definitely see not necessarily the details of a body or a face, but I can see maybe the outline. I can also maybe kind of see the qualities of that person, but it's also coming in as just a, a basic knowing like, oh, this is a grandmother. Oh, this is my father. And I don't know how that comes in. It's just like annoying. Yeah. Cause it's just instantaneous. And also I want to say touch sometimes, like sometimes I can feel in my hands. Sometimes I can feel like the warmth through my whole body coming in. So is this language and experience mm -hmm. that you had before? I mean, since you were brought up in a family where spirit was obviously addressed and talked about because your dad was a pastor, but is this language that you had before your Reiki session or is this really developed to keep up with the sort of new experiences you have? <laughs> Right? In your face. I, yeah. <laughs> no, I wasn't like a Reiki person as a child. <laughs> I had no idea what any of this was. My memories growing up as a child were like having an insider kind of perspective of, of spirit in church and my father being a spiritual leader. I do think that my, there might have been of a disconnect between the way my father saw himself as a spiritual person and the way the congregation viewed him as like a religious leader. Um, mm. Yeah. 
I don't know. I do know for myself growing up that I've always had like this weird empathy and compassion. And I think that's the way that was the channel or the vessel for the stuff to come in. And by weird, do you just mean like a heightened sense of what other people are going through or? Oh, yeah. Yes. Like I would watch, what was it? The, I can't remember the name of the movie, but I grew up in the 80s. So there was this movie, a, an Australian movie about the woman who's the dingo took her baby. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> yes. With, Sorry, with like, was that with Meryl Streep? Yes. Right. Okay. Cried and cried and cried hysterically and then got sick afterwards. Wow. Then there was the movie about, so my parents used to have us watching like, political activism we were very involved in in that kind of thing and so there was a south african movie about stephen biko Mm -hmm. and oh my gosh cried 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 and got sick and so yeah i would have these intense empathy compassionate moments and followed by i would get i would get sick and i don't think my parents at that time they they just didn't know they were just you know i guess concerned for for my empathy No, there was no like, here, let's take you to this center where you'll get all the spiritual help and resources. It was not like that at all. There was just some kind of awareness. And I remember as a kid, I was, I would get so overwhelmed. Like, who am I? And what is this world? Why are we here? I used to get so overwhelmed thinking like, what the heck is all of this? But I still do sometimes. If I go there and think that, then I, you know, I can like freak myself out of my body of like, why are we here? What is this? With being like that plugged in, how do you maintain your own boundaries and your own sense of self-care and like keeping some of that energy for yourself rather than like healing, you know, everybody within a 50 mile radius? Right. It has been a lesson allowing people to take responsibility for themselves has been very eye-opening and an important spiritual lesson for me. And then having like an internal shift of empathy to compassion has been really important for me. Like, you know, not allowing empathy to bring me down to other people's level, but using the strength of my compassion to bring them up. When it comes to self-care, yeah, I can't be out there like that doing all kinds of everything for everybody. I have to set limits and boundaries. Um, and so right now I'm only doing one day a week where I'm working with clients in Reiki sessions, in-person Reiki sessions. I might do, I'm available for like one remote session in the week. But because I understand too, like I have a family of growing people in a household. I have my husband and I both have my mother and his mother living with us. We've got middle schoolers. We've got kids sports. There's so much going on that do keep me grounded here that if I were to open up to more availability of healing, my feet wouldn't be touching the ground. So I think that all the responsibilities help keep me grounded. I honestly don't know how you're able to maintain your sensitivity with four children and being a caretaker of two mothers. I mean, because we talk about in my mediumship class where Amy, my teacher, will be like, if you need to shut down for a couple of years, you go ahead and do that because you need to protect yourself and not burn out. Um, but yeah, I wanted to kind of back up a little bit. Like I think when we had originally talked and just something <laughs> as I was working with you that when George Floyd was murdered, that was like a major cultural shift, you know, just in the way that people of color give their energy to others and just also like, a you know, reckoning for everyone. So being in ground zero, I just wanted to talk a little bit about how that impacted you and how that shifted your practice. Yeah, it did shift. Everything was sh- had shifted before George Floyd. You know, we were in shutdown. It was like, I don't know, there was a lot of, there was tension and anxiety already in the air. We were already socially distancing. So there was already this shift going on. And I wasn't seeing people in person at that time because March, the shutdown happened. I stopped seeing clients in my office. Yeah. And so it was like this, I don't want to say perfect, things were brewing. And so when George Floyd happened at home, my home life was already 
condensed and contracted so that it was the, at the time, the six of us, my husband and I, and my mom, so the seven of us. So we were already right there together. And so when George Floyd happened, oh my gosh, I think it was just Keenan and I, my, my husband and I totally went into care mode for our family. Luckily, he was not at work. They called him out of, out of work. So it was just him and I really trying to do whatever we could to take care of our kids. Well, also making sure that they knew what was going on. We took them down to George Floyd Memorial a few times. We stood there for protests a few times just to give them a taste of, you know, the reality and what was going on. But I remember I, we were watching CNN and there was a very, like, very troubling, I want to say re-traumatizing scene that happened in D.C. And I looked at him and I was like, oh, my God, I can't see clients right now. There's no way that I can see clients right now. I need to, I need, it's a, uh, not, I wouldn't want to say a matter of self-preservation, but it, it, it also was, I just was not able to give to anyone other than to myself and my family at the time. I was, had other family members and we were having these conversations, but it was, it was more, it was so private and personal and really sacred that I just didn't feel comfortable, um, I don't know, ha having energetic exchanges at the time yeah, with yeah. people who were like outside of my trusted circle. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so how have you kind of taken that approach into like post pandemic and just, it sounds like you made a lot of shifts in terms of how you do self care, but I'm just curious how that translated into the, the opening up of the world and. Yeah, things, it, I think it's still shifting. It's still, still ongoing because number one, the pandemic is still going on in the air. We're still new to coming out of this, this distancing and what does it mean to have these in-person exchanges again? But I, I did just the pandemic itself and George Floyd, I learned so much about holding on to what's sacred, holding on to your space, how important solitude is. Um, just even having this wintering space, being able to winter in is, oh my gosh, it's been really healing. When I think but yeah. we're saying about the empathy versus compassion, like the, yeah. the inclination to get on people's level to support them is huge. It's we're not really taught any other way and you have to yeah. learn through trial and error that, oh, that actually doesn't work. <laughs> right. Yep. And the, the whole responsibility part and what am I responsible for and what, what are other folks responsible for? And having this, this agreement that when the clients come into my, my space or in my office, that there is this contract of, you know, this is what we're going to work towards. And this is what my responsibility is. And then this is what, you know, you are responsible for that in ways that I'm just not responsible for. Um, and I'm not responsible for, I want to say holding space after the sessions, after the sessions ended, that it's not my job to hold your energy. And yeah, after the, after you leave the office, you take yourself with you yeah. back out into the world. <laughs> But yeah, I'm, that's why I'm also a lot more limited in my time and space. I used to do, I was available seven days a week before the pandemic. Yeah. It was way too much. I was spread too thin. And so now it just feels a lot better to have like everything else in my life going on and my projects and this one day a week that I get to touch people. It's, it's good. It's perfect. And on that one day, I might have four sessions Five is pushing it, but yeah, I'm not spending the rest of my week with all of these people in my, that I'm aware of. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing, you know, I think the whole getting older process and as, you know, our children get older and then by that very climbing up, you know, we go over our own hill and start to enter into the older, older phase and, you know, leave this mortal coil behind. I think there's so much of a reckoning of what time is and feeling time as infinite when you're really young and, you know, that changing and then seeing societal tragedies unfolding. There's just something about it. 
it puts time into this whole other basket and the sacredness of time. Yeah. And I just really want to, I don't know, mark that of how that changes with experience, but also with parenting. I also want to say that I hear what you're saying and it's making me think about perimenopause. Yeah. And Talk to the me. Way, yeah, <laughs> the way that this has all coincided pandemic, George Floyd, having children, and then my Reiki journey, you know, it's all coinciding in this growth of me and my body and having ovaries and a womb and monthly periods and now being in this state of perimenopause that's been going on for years. I do see like the, the correlation, the energetic correlation between, yeah, like my maturing, (laughs) my maturing body (laughs) And yeah, the, even the, the way that the, the divine feminine is unfolding alongside my perimenopause, it's pretty, pretty cool. So I own this little shop in Oakland and we sell, mm-hmm. we sell gift cards. We have little <laughs> cards, but I have this one that is like perimenopause. It's like puberty, but nobody knows when it starts and nobody mm-hmm. knows when it ends. And there's no cute movies about it. Nobody's really <laughs> sure how it's impacting them. And it is amazing that this transition that will happen to people who have that type of hormones in their body to everybody Mm -hmm. is so unbelievably unknown. I mean, it is really shocking. Like Mm -hmm. it's truly shocking. It it is absolutely. Well, I was going to say like undiscussed unknown. I'm 41. Like, is it going to start happening now? I don't know about it. Cause I was like, Welcome oh, I would the wonderland well. of nobody talking to you about exactly. one of the most central things that will be happening to your body in the next 10 years. Kind of like, like with when I started using tampons, they're like, you'll know when it's happening. <laughs> no, like the, the female knowing is going to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Wait, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know, there's, it, it would be as if you really kind of like, you'll know when you are shaped this way, but there's no other discussion of it. And because mm-hmm. perimenopause and menopause is like, you'll know when your period's gone, but that's like the last of it. That's the very last. Oh, really? It's the least of it. That's just like a thing. That's like just. So what is the thing? Tell us. It's a transition. It's a hormonal transition that impacts every single area of life, spiritual life, intellectual Mm -hmm. life, emotional life, sexual life. It has Mm -hmm. its hands as impactfully Mm -hmm. in your development and growth as puberty. It's just an undoing of things and then a remaking of things in a different way. It's just, I don't freaking really know what it is, even though I've been reading books because it's truly not studied and disseminated and discussed. Absolutely. I would say, you know, as a Reiki person, it's like, it's a spiritual journey that manifests itself in, in the physical body. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to it again. Drop the mic. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Just going back to setting boundaries around healing. I'm curious if you could talk a little bit more about about clients who maybe aren't lending themselves to healing. Do you ever turn people away now that you've opened your clientele back up? I no, I don't turn people away. I I trust I trust their spirit and I trust my spirit and I trust my guides and now I trust my ascended masters. Cause I, I feel like my ascended masters now are sending me Oh people. People. Mm-hmm. Who are they? Who are um, you working with right now? I know. Who are they? <laughs> They're like a group of aunties on another plane. Um, I was starting to, to play, play around with astral travel. And yeah, and some part of the astral travel meditations had reached someplace or they took me up there. And so they're like a, on another plane, a higher plane. And they're just kind of like my aunties. Oh, cool. So it's not like Jesus or anything. It's your guides, but the really elevated ones. Yes. Oh, Jesus is one of my guides. But yeah, these ascendant masters are, I don't know. They're just, they're the aunties. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
I was going to say who else I was working with. People who are coming into my practice are like talk therapists, mm -hmm. also activists, and people themselves who are tr transforming into their higher selves. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like I have a lot of, it's, yeah, I want to say like the last time someone who came in and usually what happens is the client will come in, have a session, and then they themselves will t tell themselves no and won't come back in for a session. And the last time that happened was um, almost a year ago, and that person had a lot of trauma. And it was fine. I felt like, oh, I, I can do this. I can do this work. Um, but there was resistance. You know, if we're going to do the work, then we're going to do the work. Like I said, the whole responsibility part. But I didn't turn the client away. It was like the not being ready was, was what happened. With um, mediumship or tarot, there's always like this mirroring of who is coming to you as a client where, you know, you're kind of learning something by helping them. So what do you feel like your guides are wanting you to learn right now with the people that are coming in? That's a very good question. Uh, I, at first, when I first received the this weird ascendant master attunement, I was like, oh, I'm learning. They want me to learn this new energy. Um, and so I still think I'm in this learning phase because the sessions have, since the summer, the sessions have felt like on a deeper level or more intense, or there's a lot going on in a short amount of time. There's a lot more work done. And so, yeah, it does feel like I'm learning. I'm in this learning phase of learning what it feels like to work with them and learning what kind of clients they're sending to me. One of the clients they sent was amazing. They were one of the clients my father showed up in and was like, tell, tell them this. But it was just like this four sessions, very fast turnover. It was just a really amazing four session experience. So that's what it does feel like. Like I'm just in this learning phase of what it feels like to have this newer energy that I'm working with and what kind of clients these folks are and having these these higher, I don't know, higher experiences is what it kind of feels like. And it, how did you, so you said you were doing astral travel. Is that just through meditation or something or? Mm -hmm. Yes. And I'll, just to like, can you, what is astral travel and how does it look for mm -hmm. you? Astral travel is, I think, you know, the way to get there or traveling to other dimensions of reality basically is what astral travel is. Um, other physical locations that are either here on this earth or in other dimensions of, of spirit world or other dimensions of reality. And the way that you get there is through meditation and first coming into your body and then letting go of your body and letting your consciousness travel. And so there are these dimensions of reality. And it's like the first dimension is like the astral dimension where I think that you can get a lot of mediumship out of if you want to have connection with spirits who have been here on earth who are no longer here, like departed spirits. But yeah, the higher you go, the more distance there is from this physical dimension to other dimensions of spirituality. And I'm not sure what dimension these ascended masters are, but I do remember when I went into that dimension and I remember how much love there was. It was really overwhelming. And I was like, okay, that's that's a lot of love. I could only be here for a little bit amount of time. And I went there several times. And I think in a span of two weeks, I went there several times to get acclimated and to ask what, what I was there for and what they needed of me. Yeah, that's pretty much my experience of astral travel. So, and are you like sitting... In meditation, like you start your meditation and maybe you walk us through people wanted to play around with astral travel. Yeah. Like how you Sure. I I do it laying down. If I'm going to really let go of my body, I need to be laying down. And so my practice is I I'm laying down. I'm in the dark. I'm on my bed, even with my weighted blanket on. So I just need to be super, super comfortable. And I relax. And then I start off from my consciousness in my consciousness I am connecting my my mind to parts of my body and so I start with my feet 
and I go into my feet and I connect with my feet and I work my way all the way up into the top of my head. And then once I'm like, okay, I am so connected to my body right now. And then I'm just like, okay, it's time to let go. And one visualization that I have that has worked for me is that I visualize that I'm going into an airplane and that there are other souls around me who are about to travel. And then we lift off and we go high, high, high up. And then we leave the earth's atmosphere. And then we're kind of like in free fall travel <laughs> until we reach the dimension that we're, we're destined to go to. That's pretty much. And then I'm like, oh, whatever I'm experiencing, I'm so let go of my body by then that the experience is just like an immersion experience for me it's not letting go of my body so much as my mind mm -hmm. like I feel like to get to the point where I can unlock from the thing that wants to control everything I'm like never in my body so it's actually good to pick up freaky again but like it's really my mind needs to get the hell out of here because it's kind of getting in the way yep I feel me it's like I'm safe I'm safe I'm safe I'm safe I'm safe I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. Okay, I can go anywhere is what, is what, what works for me. I love that. I feel like we've talked about this, not, not while talking to you, but in other episodes of how the language of being mentally ill and then the language of like contacting other dimensions and being part of an energetic unseen world are very similar and I always grapple with it because I'm like is it just if some people are tortured by it and that's where the consequence is that illness and then some people have it you know feel like they have access to something but it's integrated into reality as well and I've always been very much on the side of like these are separate things the language might be similar, but the experience is entirely different. And it doesn't matter that the language is the same because the language is just sort of a puberty. It's like the last yeah. thing that the, the, kind of getting the framework in the way. Um, in some ways gets in the way. And it's like, I know deeply in my heart, these are separate things, but I'm just curious sort of what your point of view on that is. I thought about that too, you know, as I, even coming into this conversation, like, I hope I'm not, I don't sound like a crazy person, <laughs> like, but I feel safe. I feel yeah. safe in this space, in this conversation. There are times when I do set boundaries where I'm like, I, they don't know me on that level. I'm not going to, this is not, we're not having this conversation. Number one, they it will just be like a deer in the headlights thing. Oh, but yeah. I, I mean, I take the work seriously. I, I have studied, I've done my research I'm in control of my faculties. I do think that there is a separation when it comes to mental illness, but I also kind of sometimes wonder if there is an intersection. There's someone I know very close who has a mental illness and who was also has a, has a natural affinity for spirit, spiritual connection. And I do sometimes wonder if there, like the maturity, there, there needs to be some more this is just personally speaking, like the maturity hasn't reached um, in order for them to be grounded enough in it. It's all coming in really fast and disorienting. And so, yeah, sometimes I do wonder if, yeah, and even for myself, like I can get bogged down in my work in, in with Reiki. If I did Reiki seven days a week, I would be diagnosed with a mental illness that would be way too much if I did it, you know, if I saw 35 people a week or if 35 spirits came to me in a week, if I was like constantly 24 seven engaged in mediumship or channeling and I was never here, I would be so discombobulated and disoriented when I was here. Yeah. I don't really yeah. have any answers to that. I think that when it comes to mental illness though, that there is so much research and so much that's not known when it comes to mental health. And I really, really hope that in the near future, there's going to be more science and research that comes out when it comes to, you know, mental health and the brain and the way the brain connects to the body. I, I think there's just so much we don't know. Yeah. 
but I have so much respect for for anybody for folks who are experiencing mental illness, just in a personal, just my own personal connection to people who have mental illness. Yeah. I mean, I'm in some ways driving myself slightly insane because of how much my views are shifting, just being a host on the side view. I definitely can't. I mean, I still believe very emphatically that, you know, spiritual awakening and mental illness are not the same, even if they share language. But hearing like there might be, you know, some intersection of where people are being inundated with a connection that in some ways ungrounds them so sincerely that they can't hold their grip onto even the fact that that makes like sense to me, it's absolutely driving me insane. And now that I said, I'm like, no, 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 never mind. That doesn't make sense to me. I don't know what I'm talking about. I mean, I'm very resistant resistant to it because I'm so pro medication. I'm so pro therapy. I'm so pro, like, you know, I'm pro science, like really pro Western science in a way. And part of it is just that my, I say this every time, but my son has type one diabetes and I'm very happy for insulin. I love that insulin was created. I love that it keeps him alive. I, I love that we have it. I love that we have technology for it. But yeah, my brain is in a battle with how to think about it. And I, I well, I wonder um, too, like, cause so if you get into energy work or like mediumship or, you know, connecting to the spirit world, there's all different ways of doing it. And so, for example, there's people who are so tuned in, they don't need to do anything. You know, they don't need to light a candle. They barely need to meditate. It's like they have access, mm. like boom, it's there. There's people who rely really heavily on physical world tools. And so I wonder, you know, because I just feel like energy is like the through line to all of this. Like if Western science and the way that it manipulates physical energy and, you know, whatever else, I'm not using the right words, but like if that's the thing that makes you feel like you can heal, then why even question it? You know, I mean unless it's hurting you. I don't know. I just wonder if there's some similarity between the way science supports health and, you know, the way that we rely on the physical world tools to connect with spirit. Like it doesn't make one better than the other. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I I get you, Sarah. I feel the same way. I can totally understand um, the resistance of that doesn't make sense or, you know, whatever that feels like. Um, But I also am like, open (laughs) the presence of the holy spirit to me is so big and so unknown who am i to question whether spirit comes in through you know whatever it comes in is going to where it comes in or whatever it is i i feel like i'm open to it and i'm okay with it i feel okay with it um yeah i think i've always been scared of co-signing people's suffering of if somebody's really suffering with not being able to find reality sort of like fetishizing it and in some type of way has always I agree it's to me it's Um, just speaking on my personal experience like it is a it's something to tiptoe around because you don't want to diminish what someone's going through you don't want to diminish if someone needs emergency care you don't want to diminish the ER you don't want to diminish what their immediate needs are and you also don't want to diminish that person. Um, so I totally understand. And so I feel like I have, you know, I'm going to take a step back from that. <laughs> I'm going to just have the utmost respect, as much respect as I can for anyone who's been diagnosed or is experiencing a mental health illness. Um, and just, you know, it, whatever it is that's coming in for them or whatever they're experiencing, like it's, if I can meet them where they are with nothing but empathy and compassion, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like my integrity is okay with that. Yeah. I also feel like, you know, maybe it's some people's mission to like connect mental illness more to the spirit world. But like, if that's not yours, then don't make it your job to understand it, you know, necessarily. I don't know. Maybe Liz, that's yeah. your mission here on earth. <laughs> right. I think it is part. I mean, I do think that's part of it. I do too. I think I'm at a weird crossroads of my level of obsession with the spirit world and my level of 
both fears of boundaries being taken away and um well and just your fluidity with the medical establishment and all the different tools around yeah i have a lot of fluidity in many different worlds um Libra, Libra, Libra. You're like well-placed to inspect that intersection in a way that people who haven't done all the things like would, yeah, on all the things. Um, I have a question Mm -hmm. just about doing Reiki on Mm -hmm. non-humans. If you've done Reiki on like plants or trees Mm. or animals or species species. or. Um, No, not, I won't say directly. (laughs) But yes, like in, I've had Reiki sessions where there are cats in the room. I have a dog who loves when I when I'm giving Reiki to myself or when I'm in a distance Reiki session. She's just you know just in bliss. I love doing Reiki uh, in the summers, like distance Reiki in the summer outside. It's wonderful, like in my backyard, in my garden, or underneath my tree. I I really really enjoy that. Um, yeah, and someone else's dog I've given Reiki to, but it hasn't been like a part of my, like including this all the way into my my practice. It's kind of like more of a side awareness. And what's the most miraculous thing that you've experienced through Reiki? Oh, miraculous. Because I've heard some pretty wild, <sighs> you know, stories yeah. about Reiki. Not that it has to prove anything, but. Mm-hmm. I want to say when people come back with from injury, and they come back and say, it's completely gone. That's been pretty miraculous. I've been working with a client for a period of time and they come in with a breakthrough or they come in and tell me they quit their job or they're in a new relationship. Anytime there's a breakthrough. And then anytime we meet together after the session and we say the same thing, like, oh, I, I saw this you know, purple waterfall and it was over the left side of my body when you were touching my hip. And I'm like, oh, I saw the same thing. (laughs) It was a purple waterfall. Um, And those moments, those moments of energetic synchronicity when we're experiencing the exact same energetic impression at the same time, that's to me also a miracle. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and it must just be validating, like, this is real. You know, they're able to tune into that. Yeah, I wanted to switch gear unless, Liz, you have any more Reiki questions. No, but no. I mean, all the questions. (laughs) Right, we could go on. (laughs) Well, you got your MFA in writing, so I just wanted to talk a little bit about your background as a writer and what you're doing with it right now. Sure. Writing's been a dream of mine, I want to say, since high school. When I first read Beloved by Toni Morrison, I was like, oh, I want to do that. I want to be able to do that. So storytelling and writing and reading has been big, big, big passions of mine. And so I went to school and I got my MSA. I actually graduated the Saturday of George Floyd. So we had our graduation ceremony online because of COVID. And then we had a gathering at our house, outdoor gathering. And then two days later was George Floyd. And so, you know, it was one of those pauses, another pause. <laughs> I was like, we're, we're not doing any, any writing right now. I could not write there. Like everything, every sentence that I had written up until that time. I mean, and even though there was Jamar Clark, there was also Philando Castile. I don't know if it was because of, you know, maybe it was, it happened in my neighborhood and in, in a place that I grew up. I don't, I don't know. Uh, just the timing of it. But it was, you know, this major shift. And so I had to put my notebook down and I actually picked up books. And also my kids were home. It's really hard for me to write when my kids are around. So yeah, I didn't write. And I didn't didn't write until, honestly, honestly, my kids went back to school. I didn't start writing again until last fall when they were back into school. And even then that was touch and go because they had anytime one of them were around or had a COVID exposure, they had to be home for two weeks. So I really didn't, I really didn't get around to writing, writing until uh, last February of 2022. So it's just been nice to get back to the routine. It's different now without having like a school deadline hanging over my head. School kind of like all the rules 
that I needed to get distance from all the writing rules and, you know, get back to my creativity. I needed to do some, some healing of my own. So it feels really good right now to get back to it. And did you shift what you did to work on like from before and then after? No, it's been the same thing. I did have a published piece during the pandemic that I, that is nonfiction. And I wrote it around the time um, that my, my daughter was, was in recovery from um, an episode of depression mm. and it's a nonfiction piece. And so I think having that published and also <laughs> I read it out loud at a, at a gathering, um, but having that piece out there in the world, I think was also really good for me. Like, okay, you know, this is out there in the world. It's nonfiction. It's an essay. It's, you know, kind of raw. It's real. So uh, yeah, it kind of gave me the space. It really did give me some space. But the writing that I'm doing now is that I'm writing a novel that I've been focusing on for, for years now, since even before the MFA. So I've been focusing on that. And I think those characters, they were like, girl, you need to take a break. <laughs> Yeah, like you don't need to be focused on us right now. You know, the you need to go take a break. Don't worry about us. We'll be here. We have so much patience for this story. We'll be here when you get back to it. That's really cool. Yeah, I've heard of writers talking before about the characters kind of like having their own almost testing into a spirit. So you feel mm -hmm. that way about them and they're kind of guiding you along as you write. Yeah. It's even like when I work with my clients, like if, if there's resistance, then, you know, we're only going to get so far. The sentence is only going to be that good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, yeah, if there's resistance going on in my life, there's things going on that's going to give me resistance, then it's best to, it's best to like not touch it. Yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. That's good advice. And where can we find the essay that you published? Oh, it's through... It's the literary magazine, or it's called the Waterstone Review, and it's through Hamlin University. Okay. I think it was published, let's see, that was last, so fall of 2021 is the, I think, the edition. Okay. And it's called, it's called Los Desperacitos. Los, Los Desperacitos. Annie Pruel, whose name I'm not sure if I'm saying her yeah. right toward the shipping news, um, did not publish <laughs> anything until she was 57 and like wrote a whole lot of books. Mm. Brokeback Mountain, Shipping News, Courting Crime, I mean, just on and on and on. So her kids were, her kids were out in the now. I feel like, you know, that even that intersection of giving birth to my children and them now in perimenopause and so what do I give birth to now that it is some of the same energy of you know spirit coming into the physical and if it comes out as a book like yes thank god because then it's coming from you know here and I'm not having to labor labor through without an epidural like it's a little bit less you know it's also not like running a marathon it's just a different it's the same you know but it's different has your relationship changed to the ambition of where you envision the work? Because I, I like when I was getting my MFA, you know, when I entered in, I was like, I'm going to be famous and I'm going to show here and here and here when they write about me. And I'm just like, you know, I hope that some part of my soul is embedded in my work. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, changed. Number one, I just want to finish it. Um, yep. And yeah, when I started, I was going to be, I'm going to be the great next Black American novelist. And I'm going to be on this list and that list. And, you know, right now I'm good with commercial women's fiction. I'm good with being a romance writer. Like, that's where I want to go next. Like, <laughs> I'm good. Oh, my God. <laughs> I've always said that. If yes. I write a book like romance yep. novel, I'm here for it. Well, now that Stacey Abrams has done it. We can all just, I mean, it's not like we needed her to show us it's okay, but like as the leader she is, that certainly hasn't hurt mm -hmm. that as a concept that you can be. I didn't even know that. That she's a romance novelist. She writes kind of sexy bodice ripper fiction. No. <laughs> O-M-G. Just like chop that up in your list of reasons Hilarious. to love her. Amazing. Well, okay, cool. Sorry, I, I hope I didn't interrupt your tangent. Um, or Not at your, all. Your, your, what you were saying. 
but I super support like a popular (laughs) airport book. Yep. Yep. Do you have anything that you'd like to promote or where can people find your services? Yeah. My website, ericawallacemorereiki.com is where they can find me and it's kind of bare bones right now. I recently transformed the website to be like a one pure simple, but you can find me there. Well, cool. Thank you so much. This was such a wonderful conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm flattered and so thrilled. Thank you. Yes. That's all for this week's episode. Thanks for side-wooing with us. We release episodes every other week on Thursday. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review our podcast for good karma points. Until we meet again in the woo.